Today's scripture is from Psalm 147, verses 1 through 11. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Israel and Jerusalem, and he gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make a melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the animals their food and to the young ravens when they cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the speed of the runner, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder where have you seen God this week? Where have you seen God at work this week? If we're friends on Facebook, you may have seen my post about a surprising moment I had at the doctor's office about a week and a half ago. It was on a follow-up visit with my pulmonologist. Now, let me just say in my defense as I set up this story that when I was in the hospital in mid-December, I met a lot of doctors. I mean a lot of doctors. One thing about having a disease that's rare and hard to diagnose is everyone wants to come see you. <laughs> everyone. There were moments in my hospital room when the attending nephrologist, the kidney doctor, say, brought his entire team of fellows and residents and med students, so there were like eight doctors standing around my bedside at one time. And while I was in the hospital, not only did I get to see the nephrology team every day, I also saw the rheumatology team, the pulmonology team, and the family medicine team. Point is, I talked to a lot of doctors every day. And I tried to keep them and their questions and their personalities and their names all separate, tried to keep track of them all, but as the days and the doctors added up, it got a little hard. And in the midst of all of this, one of the weird things that my brain decided to do was to replace the word pulmonology with the word pneumatology in my head. Now, pneumatology is a word from seminary. It means the study of the Holy Spirit. And that's because pneuma is a Greek word for the word spirit. We find it all over the New Testament, pneuma. Pneuma in Greek, though, also means wind or breath. So it still shows up in words like pneumatic or pneumonia, which I happened to have while I was in the hospital. So replacing pneumatology with, for the word pulmonology, it wasn't that far off in left field, but still, Occasionally, in talking to my husband, I would call the pulmonologist the pneumatologist, and my dear Maddie only corrected me about half the time, because he's very kind to me. Well, fast forward then to the end of January. It was time for a follow-up visit to the pulmonologist to see how my lungs were doing, and they're doing awesome, by the way. I got great news. They're clear of pneumonia. Fantastic. So 
at this doctor's visit, at one point, in the middle of all the routine questions the doctor asks, she said, remind me what you do for a living. And I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, yes, she said. We had met in the hospital. She said, and where, what church? I said, well, the United Methodist Church in Papillion. And then she went on to ask about my sleep and my breathing, and we talked about what might happen if my vasculitis returns, and all these kinds of conversations you have with a doctor in a visit like that. We had a good conversation, and then this doctor, who she's a fellow, so she's at the very end of her medical training, probably in her mid to late 20s, uh, she finished up, the attending came in, and we had a good conversation, and then the, the fellow, the other doctor, came back to finish up the appointment. And suddenly, she looked at me and she said, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, sure. I mean, hadn't she been asking me personal questions for like the last 30 minutes? I said, sure. She said, uh, how did you know you wanted to be a pastor? Well, This is actually not an uncommon question that I get. People ask it a lot. And I think that's because it can be hard for people who aren't pastors to imagine being pastors. They're curious about how we get here. Or perhaps sometimes people ask it because they have a job they don't feel very passionate about and they wanna know what it feels like to be called to something. But it was not idle curiosity that had my doctor ask this question. I gave her a short answer to her question, then I waited to see what she would say next. And she looked at the floor and she kind of started twirling her hair a little bit (laughs) nervously, and she said, last week a pastor of this church who's retiring said to me that I could pastor his church after him. And I think he was kidding, but I'm not sure that he was kidding, and I can't quite stop thinking about it, and I'm not sure what I should do about what he said. Oh, so this question was really about her and not about me. So I told her some more about what God's call felt like in my life and how I understand God's call to work in the world, how it has an internal and an external component, and how it sounded to me like she had received an external invitation and had some internal stirrings, and the best thing to do was to try some things, some experiments kind of, and see what it felt like inside and what kind of feedback she got outside, and then she could discern that that's what God had in mind or not. I did say, please, you have a whole lot invested in what you're doing right now as a pulmonologist. (laughs) Don't do anything rash. Stick with the good work you're doing right here, but also test and see and explore what God might have in mind for you for ministry as well. We talked a little longer, and She seemed satisfied, and she seemed comforted, and then she said, I know it's kind of weird to have asked you that question, but it's just been on my mind for the last few days so much, and then here you come in for an appointment, and I I just felt God nudging me to ask. And I told her I was so very glad that she did, and I'd be praying for her as she figured out how to respond. So I went to the pulmonologist, and I ended up talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, just like a pneumatologist would! You guys! Did God set me up for that? I don't know. I don't care. Was God in the middle of it? No doubt about it. It was a very cool moment, and I am grateful to have been in the right place to listen and to encourage. 
Where have you seen God at work this week? I have a dear friend who's been wanting a dog. She's been wanting one for a, lo- a while, but once the pandemic hit, the desire got even stronger, and she almost brought a dog home once or twice last spring. But the thing that made her hold off is that she was getting married this summer, and her almost wife had a dog, and so she knew in just a matter of months she'd have a dog in her house. Summer came, they got married, they bought a house, they moved into that house in late fall. They made friends with some of their neighbors, and in mid-December, one of their neighbors came asking if my friend and her wife could dog-sit their dog, because the family needed to go to Mexico in order to see the neighbor's dying father. Pretty important reason to have to leave the country. So my friend said yes, even though the dog to be dog-sat was pregnant. When are the babies due? I asked my friend one day. We don't know, she said. No clue. How long will the family be gone? I asked. We aren't sure. They weren't specific. You can see where this is heading. (laughs) On Christmas Eve, I got a text from my friend. The puppies are coming! Yes, on Christmas Eve, in the basement of their house, my friends watched eight puppies be born. Now, I have never seen puppies be born. But if my friend's experience is any indication, it is the most perfectly magical way to spend Christmas Eve in the middle of a pandemic. My friends texted the dog's owner to tell them the good news, and they texted back, how lovely, and then they didn't say anything else. (laughs) It took three more weeks for these neighbors to come home. And they did so without much warning. They showed up, they scooped up the mama dog and the eight puppies, By then, of course, my friends had fallen in love with all eight puppies, but there was one especially that they were smitten with, and they asked if that dog could come back to be their dog. They got a yes, kind of. Communication with these neighbors was pretty awkward all the way along. And then last Saturday, just a week ago, the neighbor showed up on my friend's porch with a bundle in her arms, a puppy wrapped in a towel, the very puppy they had chosen out of the litter, and my friend thought that she was just bringing the five-week-old puppy by for a visit. No, no. Hey, puppy was here to stay. Here's your puppy. (laughs) Puppy is home. They named the puppy Navidad, which is the Spanish word for Christmas. And he's so cute, I can hardly stand it. I brought a couple pictures. Let's see those pictures. There's Navidad in the snow yesterday. And then we have one more. Oh my gosh. Now, this is the strangest way to get a puppy. Helping out neighbors you barely know over the holidays, having your new dog be born in your own basement. But it also feels to them like a complete gift. Like the whole experience is just a straight up gift from God. Where have you seen God at work this week, this month, this year? That's the question for the day because that's the question the psalmist is answering in Psalm 147. This is a psalm that comes from the end of the Psalter, one of the last five in that beautiful book of poetry. And if we read through the psalms, we will find this huge variety of things going on. Some psalms are celebrations, some are laments, some are full of joy, some are full of pleading, some are full of anger, some are full of sorrow, some are addressed to God, some are about God. And the last five in the Psalter are known as the Hallelujah Psalms because they all contain the word hallelujah and are focused on praising God. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word that's a command 
That means praise Yahweh. But Professor Shauna Hannon remarks, the psalmist has offered five ways to proclaim praise to the Lord with the five hallelujah psalms that conclude the Psalter. Even within each of these five psalms, the psalmist offers myriad ways to say essentially the same thing. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is worthy to be praised. The Lord is worthy to be praised. What a thing for us to remember. We worship this amazing and powerful God, a God who's active in the world. We don't worship a God who just sits back and waits to see what will happen with us, no. The scripture tells us again and again that we are in relationship with a God who's active, who's present, who's here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is doing stuff in the world. We see that from beginning to end of scripture, and it's also the whole story of Jesus, that Jesus came to make God present and real in the world with people to bring healing and hope and to change us. But that story doesn't stop with Jesus. It doesn't stop with the end of the scripture. God continues that same work, being active and present and here. And knowing that, one of the ways we respond is to just look for it, to keep our eyes open, to see where God is at work in the world. And then when we see it, we respond just like the psalmist with praise, just by telling about it out loud. Look, look what God has done. The psalmist starts, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. And then the psalmist hones in on two key places, two key reasons to praise God where God's at work. First, creation. He determines the number of stars, gives to them their names, covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth or today's snow, makes grass grow on the hills, gives the animals their food, the young ravens their food when they cry. So God's present and active all through creation. And secondly, the psalmist lifts up God for, or praises God for lifting up the vulnerable and those left behind. He said, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds their wounds. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden and casts the wicked to the ground. Now, both those things are things we can still praise God for today. God's power, God's majesty, God's might are evident to us in creation in beautiful sunsets, in magnificent mountains, in vast oceans, in skies full of stars. And God's mercy, God's compassion, God's love, those are on display when we see the most vulnerable are helped and the brokenhearted are consoled when outcasts are welcomed in. I'm so grateful for the psalmist and his command to praise God Because honestly, it's the kind of habit that we are prone to neglect as United Methodists. Maybe this doesn't apply to you, but my experience of United Methodists is that we don't talk about what God has done all that easily. When we practice our faith, we're more apt to talk about what we're praying for, or a scripture that we've just read, or we might exclaim over a beautiful moment in worship, or talk about the good work that our church is doing in the community, But it's harder for us to say just plainly, this is what I see God doing in the world around me, or this is what God has done in my life, or this is what God has done in my friend's life. Praise the Lord. But the practice of doing that, of praising God out loud to other people, sometimes in the church that's called testimony. Testimony. That might be a scary word for us. Fine, just call it praising God. I don't care. 
We can just say we're following the example of the psalmist, doing what the scriptures do, praising God because God is worthy to be praised. If we take time to do this, like all the habits of our faith, it changes us and it helps change the world around us. We need to praise God because it helps us remember that God is here, that God is active, that God is present, that God provides protection and provides sustenance. It helps us remember God is powerful and God's love has real consequences for our lives. And we need that every day as people of faith. And the world around us needs that. It needs the light and the hope and the invitation that comes when we tell stories of where we see God at work. So, I hope that you can think of a few stories of where you've seen God at work this week or this month or this year. And if that's daunting to come up with a story like that, that's okay. Like I said, we don't always have a lot of practice. The cool thing is, is it doesn't stay hard once we start doing it. Praising God for what God has done is something that gets easier with practice. We get better at seeing it when we take time to talk about it. It's been a few years now since I had a conversation with a colleague that really highlighted this practice for me. He was pastoring in Wamigo, Kansas, a little town outside of Manhattan, and he was doing something remarkable, pastoring this old church that was growing in a kind of small town. And I saw him and I said, hey, Michael, what is working so well in your church? And he said, one of the things that's become really important to us is we have a testimony time in worship almost every week. We have people get up and talk about where they see God at work in their lives and in the world, and it's really affected the culture of the church. It's beautiful for us to see God so plainly. Now, you might remember in the months before the pandemic, we had started something similar here at St. Paul's. We called them spirit stories, where people were invited to come up and tell a story, any story they wanted to tell about where they had seen or felt the presence of God. Could have happened 10 years ago, could have happened last week. My hope is to start those spirit stories again soon. So if you have a spirit story you want to tell, I want to invite you to be in touch with me. Because I'm convinced that we need to continually praise God for what God is doing right here in our lives. We need to praise God by sharing our stories. We need to praise God because God is worthy to be praised. If you aren't sure that you have a spirit story worth telling, let me reassure you that you do and I'm happy to help you figure out the best way to tell it. But I also want to suggest that, especially if you aren't sure, that you could perhaps take on this idea of praising God as a faith discipline for the season of Lent. Practicing praising God would be a great thing to do during Lent. Lots of ways you could do it, but one way might be at the end of each day, starting with Ash Wednesday on February 17th, or if every day feels like too much, you could do it at the end of the week, like on Sunday evening, Sit down with pen and paper and write out a praise to God for the places you've seen God at work in the world. Take Psalm 147 as your guide if you want. Give praise to God in a poem or in prose or just a bullet point list if that's more your style. For those six weeks of Lent, write down places where you see God at work and notice how it helps deepen your faith and strengthen it. The psalmist makes it plain for us. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious. A song of praise is fitting. When we practice praising the Lord, we're changed. The world is changed, and our God is glorified. Amen.